Hey there, this is Christy Lynn Hanshi on AWOL Zebra, and I promised you interview after interview, and I'm excited because I met this young lady uh, via one of the Facebook groups. She, uh, I, I admin uh, the HEDS HSD uh, group, and she wanted to run a research program. And usually when someone is wanting to run a research program, the individual themselves, they have the illness. And I'm excited because we're going to learn about the research program, but we're also going to learn more about Annecy Houston. And Annecy Houston, I'd like to welcome you to AWOL Zebra. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. I'm 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 excited to to talk with you and thank you for being here and taking your time. Um, I'm excited because we met because you were starting a research group. Tell us a little bit about the research group. Yeah, so essentially a research project where um, we survey individuals with HEDS and uh, GHSD, so hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and generalized hypermobility spectrum disorder and to see their physical activity behaviors. So what they do currently for uh, physical activity, whether that be um, going on walks, whether that be strength training, or just simply doing day-to-day things at home, like daily tasks. Um, And so we want to see what their current behaviors were, what their health status is. So whether that be pain, GI issues, um, how they feel about exercise, um, and then when they got diagnosed, different, various um, different um, demographic information, as well as what they perceive to be barriers and facilitators. So what prevents them and what encourages them to participate in physical activity. So essentially you wanted just an overview of their behaviors, barriers and facilitators to physical activity. Now, what have you gotten enough information that you can give an idea of what you're finding so far in the results or is it still too new? So it's still new. We're still looking for about a handful of participants. Um, we do plan on closing the study up soon so we can start um, analyzing results and writing a paper. But for now, it's too soon to really give any, uh, any uh, projections into the results. Now, is it, correct me if I'm wrong, it's only available to Canadian residents? Correct, yeah. Okay, that's that's what I think because because even though we're in the ta- the same time zone, Annecy is in Canada, and <laughs> I'm in the United States because I was eager, I wanted to take part in it, but I am not in Canada. So for our Canada, we're in nine countries, believe it or not, Annecy, <laughs> Awa Zebra. So uh, if you are in Canada, please. Uh, how can how do you have a way for them to contact you? Yeah, so they can give me they can send me an email. My email is a n h o u s t o n. So oh sorry a n. Sorry, I confused. I have so many emails. Okay, <laughs> it's a n h o u s t o at ualberta dot c a. So again, that's a n h o-u-s-t-o at ualberta.ca and i'm happy to send you the link to the um to the uh questionnaire outstanding and what i like about it was you put so many things in there and i'm thinking okay i i have gi issues and and things like this what are what is it you're hoping to find with this research 
Um, I think, I think to answer this question, it's important to state why I'm doing this research. And a, a, a lot of healthcare providers suggest people with uh, connective tissue disorders, specifically HEDS and HEDS, HSD, um, to do exercise just to strengthen their muscles and to really keep their joints more stable. Um, however, there's so many reasons why it's difficult for people to stick to regimen or to even start physical activity, whether that be for GI issues or that be just because they're always in pain or they suffer from chronic fatigue or whatnot. Everyone has different barriers. So I think it was important to conduct this research just to know the why. And what we hope to find is just the reason the reasons for, um, or I guess not the reasons for, but just to understand a bit more where people are coming from. If right. people participate in physical activity, are they generally well? Or are people finding it hard to participate in physical activity? Um, is it because they have a lot of GI issues? Or is it because they have chronic fatigue? Or is it because they, they can't get out of bed in the morning? So we want to know, you know, why like physical activity is recommended but why isn't everyone doing it if that's the right. if that's the, the the not the the golden treatment but if that's you know the the things that everyone should be doing and and it's funny because it, that you mentioned this because we have and uh we met like i said through our heds hsd group i will be inviting anna's uh, uh uh, I'm sorry, uh, I'm, I'm so, working so hard on the Houston Embassy on uh, our fascinating AWOL Zebra page because you just brought up something very important. And this is the one thing that I tell everybody, you cannot exercise fascia. And we're going to talk later more about fascia. But even though I can't take your survey, I, I did find this question because I looked at it and I found it very interesting because I tried physical therapy and every physical therapy exercise I did would put me into muscle spasms. Mm -hmm. And what that was, was because I had subluxed so many joints and had surgeries over the years, I had adhesions. So every exercise I did, it would move that fascial adhesion knot, the distorted fascia, to where it made it impossible for me to do the physical exercise. So I wonder how many individuals out there that aren't familiar about fascia and the damages that come from it aren't doing the exercising because of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, th there's a lot of different reasons why people could not be exercising. And, and, and people with um, these disorders, they're a lot more prone to muscle soreness or you know, like you said, knots or just disordered um, um, bodily mechanics. So it's it's very difficult for, for physical activity to be done. Even that if that be, say, 15 to 12 reps of, um, you know, just any hip abduction or anything like that, that a physiotherapist may recommend. So. No, definitely. And it's also hard because it's so many times you go to physio and you have someone and they're like, okay, go over there and give me 20. And then they go off to the next person. We with hypermobility, we need someone actually standing over us, telling us how to do it because we don't have 
the, everybody says proprioception, but I prefer kinesthesia because that sounds prettier. <laughs> I, like, mm-hmm. I like using that word better, but we don't know how our body, we, we don't know how we are in space. Do, would you agree with that? I think there's a spectrum um, of different people. You know, the, these disorders, uh, th- they are on a spectrum. There are people who do a lot better. There are people who do a lot worse. And there are people who have a lot more symptoms, whether that be, um, you know, comorbidities such as POTS, um, you know, mast cell activation syndrome. And I think it's the same thing for proprioception. Some people may have better proprioception than others with the disease. Uh And so I do think that uh, proprioception is definitely affected um, in in people with HEDS and um, HSD. But I do think that that varies on a spectrum. But gotcha. I, if, if you do need the support, everyone needs support or the quantity of support everyone needs is different. It varies. So some people may need that support. They may need to do physical therapy, um, you know, three times a week to do the exercises. There's others that may be able to do the exercises at home just with the support of a physiotherapist whenever they need it. Um, gotcha. But I do understand how for some people it's it's important to have that extra support just to make sure that every rep is in perfect form. Um, especially if there's a lack of education on uh, physical activity or you're new to um, exercising. I think that's important to have someone there. Definitely. Now, what is, so, so we know why you started the research, why you're doing it. What are you hoping to, what, what are you looking for the end result to be once you you get this because like you said it runs the gamut uh, with each individual of how they're reacted like somebody might not have pots somebody might have pots somebody has gastro issues somebody doesn't what are you hoping to conclude from the your findings and the research i think it's just a, a general understanding um there's not much um well there's not any studies that the research team could find regarding research uh, on HEDS and HSD patients um, regarding their current physical activity behaviors and what they find difficult or what they find that encourages them to participate in physical activity. So I think I thought it was important to take that initial step just to understand that there's no point of saying do this for 15 reps twice a week or how many times that may be if you don't truly understand what motivates or demotivates, there's, you need to understand why or what motivates people right. to make a behavior stick because it's regular physical activity that's important. And it's, it's not doing it, you know, perfectly for one week and then leaving it fall. It's important to stay consistent throughout your lifetime. It's quite a challenge, um, but it's something that's very necessary with people with this disorder so it is important to know what what are the barriers and what are the uh, facilitators to physical activity to make this behavior stick definitely so so eventually uh, is it going to be i can say i knew i knew anesthesi when because you're going to go <laughs> on to bigger and greater things and then you'll be doing the big interviews and i can be like I did her first. Yeah, I mean, do, do you do you see yourself just going beyond this research? I would definitely like to. I would always love to stay in the research um, 
or scratch that I will be staying in the research sphere <laughs> very good um, very but good. I would definitely love to continue advocating uh, for HDS and H um, HSD for the rest of my life whether that be through um, just sharing the knowledge with peers or um, other people that I encounter in my life or whether that be through research and research conferences or whatnot I think it's you know I, I live with um, HSD myself, so I, I definitely understand the struggles, and I think it's always important to share your experience with experiences with others because I think that's the most meaningful thing to do when you're advocating, um, kind of on a one-to-one basis. Um, but I, I would definitely like to stay uh, advocating for these disorders and staying in the research sphere however I can. Now, I, I think that's absolutely wonderful because I do believe it, it is so much more helpful to have an advocate that understands and has gone through it themselves. So I'd like to find out a little bit more about you. So how old are you? I'm 22 years old. And when were you first diagnosed with HSD? I was diagnosed in... Not even a year ago, in 2020, sorry, in 2022, um, I believe it was probably close to a year now, in March, I believe, last year. Wow. Okay. What What were your symptoms? Um, as in last year or when it first Well, appeared? just like what, what caused you to seek out the, di- to seek out a diagnosis? Like what was it that hey, my body's just not acting right for 20-something. What made you decide to seek a diagnosis? This question is rooted long from a long time ago. Um, so my mother actually has had issues since she was young. I think I, she started having issues when I was probably about 10, 10 years old. Um, she had to take a break from working. She does a lot of computer work. Um, and she had to stop working because her hands hurt and then it kind of deteriorated. So she had to just take a leave. Um, and at that point, she knew something was going on, but no, no one knew. You know, I think I think one of the common denominators of a lot of people who get diagnosed and have no idea what they have um, is they get told, oh, at one point it's it's in your head. It's not really it doesn't exist. Um, you should maybe try, you know taking a spoonful of um of this certain spice or you should try meditation or you know I think this is I think it's fairly common um and so she she had these issues and then it started my sister having issues and then it started me having issues um and at one point my mom read in one of the um one of our local papers or newspapers about this disorder called HEDS and she's like this this is a lot like what I have. And so we kind of looked around to see where we could find more information about it. And then we found um, the, um, at the, uh, one of the, in Toronto, Canada, there's a center that focuses the hope, the Good Hope EDS clinic. Um, There's the clinic that focuses in diagnosing um, HEDS, or I guess EDS and HSD. Um, So it was about a two to three year wait and I got in, I got my appointment last year. And so that's when I went, but I sought the diagnosis quite a bit before. And I see, I see an orthopedist and he, um, and, um, physical, um, uh, sorry, a, 
physical therapist? No. Yes. No. Yes. I do see one as well, but just a, a physical medicine doctor as well. Oh, no one's okay. comfortable. No one's comfortable diagnosing these, these right. issues. So mm-hmm. you have to go, you have to go to the specialty clinics, which obviously takes forever. Um, so long story short, I got diagnosed last no, year. And I saw diagnosis <laughs> years ago. Well, um, you spoke some of your mom's. What were some of your symptoms? <laughs> so for me, it started. Um, it gradually got worse and worse. I I deal with a lot of um, a lot more musculoskeletal symptoms. I think my HSD is a lot, um, a lot lighter than a lot of other people. I'm very grateful for, um, for the condition, but also, um, I like I, I acknowledge that I'm very fortunate. And that for me, it could have been a lot more uh, severe, but I, I deal with a lot of musculoskeletal issues. So it started out, um, I, I did, I'm, I've always been physically active. I've been weightlifting since I was 15 I'd wake up at five in the morning just to go to the gym. Wow. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I think, I think that's what I have to thank for a lot of, um, for my, I guess my disease severity. Gotcha. But uh, I was doing sprints um, at a park one day and I rolled my ankle and it just wouldn't get better. So I went to go see a physical therapist. And then from there, it kind of deteriorated. It went from my knee to my hip. And so I've been dealing with a bunch of different symptoms since. Um, currently, my main symptoms are uh, I get a lot of subluxations in my spine, um, especially my neck. I get a lot of hand pain from all the computer work that I do. Um, I have a lot of knee issues. I have to wear braces when I exercise or even walk with my knees or involve my knees in any kind of um, exercise. Um, I get subluxed hips sometimes, um, although that that can be managed, I find, with heavier weights and stuff for, for personally for myself. Um, but those are those are my symptoms. I don't. Um, yeah, it's, it, again, it's mainly musculoskeletal and uh, pain focused. I do yeah, suffer from some like GI discomfort mm-hmm. on occasion, oh. but that's there. Okay. I, I I would like to consider that to be lighter and kind of um, at intervals. Gotcha. Okay. And and uh, do do you wear braces or hip belts or anything? Yeah. So I I have quite a bit of those. I have um, I have a I have a sacroiliac belt. Oh my god, sacroiliac right. belt. Right. Um, for back pain, I have knee braces. I have wrist braces for when my wrist subluxes. Um, I have not shoulder braces, but something to like keep my posture straight. Um, it kind of pulls your shoulders back because the rest of my spine subluxes. Is it like a posture? Is it like a, a, I call it a belt for your posture where it goes around your shoulders and pulls you back? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Do you need that or do you keep use that so it makes you stay in form? I, I use it. I don't use it that often, um, but I use it mainly to keep myself in form because from what okay. my physical therapist tells me, um, it's like because sometimes I could have because I'm sitting a, a decent part of the day, I can get bad posture and that just disrupts my my spine, of course, and it can cause to more subluxations. So I try, I try to maintain good posture, but obviously it is difficult and it's kind of <laughs> it exhausting. Well, um, have, have you ever heard of the upright posture corrector? I don't think so. Well, the only reason I mention it, because it sounds like you're doing more preventive, which I think is awesome. And you're knowing about your posture, but 
uh, with you being 22 and you're having to brace up and do all of this. And I know to me, putting on the posture corrector is, it, it's, it's kind of difficult. It's, mm. is yours easy to put on? Yeah. But I, again, okay. I don't, I don't use it that often. I just, I think it's, it's, I think I do think that prevent prevention is very important, but these braces I don't wear all the time. I think it's important to mention it. And, okay. um, and even the posture corrector, I don't wear that all the time either. It's just what I have at my disposal for if I need it. I think it's important gotcha. to have the tools you, I think it's important to have the tools that you need when you need them. But again, you, you do want to get better. You do want to heal Definitely. and not always rely on these external um, uh, supportive equipments. Definitely. And, and the only reason why I mentioned the upright, I, I bought it, it I, I, I got it thinking that it was going to help, but it wasn't the answer to everything until yeah. I got rid of the fascial adhesions. But what it is, if you get a chance to look it up, it's, it's an upright. It's just like it's spelled upright. And it's a little bitty. It's no bigger than the original iPods when they first came out. You know, the little bitty ones that you would put Oh, yeah. And into. you like stick it on your back. And then- right. You can stick yeah. it on your back or it attaches with a little necklace that has a magnet on it and it just is on your back. So when you're sitting at a desk or standing and if you start to slouch, if you get out of alignment, it just, it, it, uh, it vibrates a little bit to let you know, hey, get yourself back in order. And I have found that since, because when you had the, when you have fascial restrictions, no matter what you do, you, you can't seem to hold yourself properly. But when you're sitting there and you feel a little zap and then, you know, to instantly put yourself back in, it's, it's much less cumbersome and it's kind of, it's super cool actually, because it kind of keeps you there. So I just thought I would mention that in case Mm -hmm. I get no money for mentioning it, (laughs) (laughs) but I, I got mine half price and, um, I actually have found that that helped me better than putting on the apparatus itself. Mm-hmm. So I just thought I would mention that to you because you're a young woman and you don't need anything else attached to you and all of that. But I just thought, you know, since you're concerned about, you know, keeping your posture that you might be interested in something like that, because it's, like I said, it's, it's pretty cool. And you're right. Improper posture is, the main thing that starts the domino effect that takes our bodies down Mm -hmm. and and we can't have that so we've now got it to where you were weightlifting you were doing the exercising and had some issues and things like that you said a few gi issues right Mm -hmm. um have you ever been diagnosed with like ibs or anything like that yeah, when I was younger, um, I, I had to miss uh, some days at high school because um, I had really bad stomach pain and no one really knew why. Um, so I went to the hospital at one point. No one knew why. Um, you know, and then I went to go see a gastroenterologist and then we figured out that it was just I just had chronic constipation. No one knew why, because normally he was saying that it's hereditary. Um but no one in my family had this. So it was, it was very weird for me to have this issue and no one else had GI issues in my family either. So, um, it was, it was kind of sudden. And so, yeah. And then at that point he just uh, diagnosed me with IBS. 
And well, I, I was the same way. I, I feel everything that you're talking about is it's almost the same path that I went through. I was misdiagnosed with IBS. Um, I, I took three bottles of calcium mitigate to prepare for a colonoscopy and it still wouldn't work. Uh, and come to find out it had a lot to do with ad adhesions in my stomach and issues like that. So I, again, just bring that up to you because I find it so odd how similar we are with these things where it's like, it's not hereditary, but all of a sudden you have it and you're diagnosed with it. And then with the constipation issues, I mean, doesn't it seem odd that you're given these things and it's pretty much just all of a sudden it's just idiopathic. That's their answer for everything. Well, yeah, I like, I think it's hard. I think it's hard for um, clinicians to diagnose, you know, a whole because HEDS and HSD, they are, um, you know, disorders. They, they affect multiple areas in your body. And I think it's hard for a clinician that focuses in one area, say a gastroenterologist that focuses mainly on the um, gastrointestinal tracts and um, just those systems to diagnose something that, you know, maybe a dermatologist could diagnose or, you know, a physical medicine doctor. It, it's hard because they, they kind of see it. And I do think this is one of the um, defaults in the medical system and all just in Canada, but just, um, you know, across the board is they, they see it kind of in a narrow lens and it's hard to diagnose such a big disorder when you only, when you're, you're specialized in such a small area. So right. you know, just like when when I went to the ER, it's hard for them to to know what to do because they see a lot of um, acute injuries, or that be um, you know car injuries or um, you know just various things that you know are sudden versus something that is chronic. So they may not know what to look for. So I I do feel that it is hard to diagnose, but I also feel that there's there could be more awareness in the medical community about. Um, the, you know, the, the multi-systemic effects of right. um, connective tissue disorders. Gotcha. Now, how does, how, how is your mother at this point in time? And where is your sister in the frame of things with this illness? I think we all, we, we all um, deal with it very similarly we have a lot of preventative um we have a lot of tools in our tool belt i could say um <laughs> we, I, we my sister and i we were very fortunate because my mom had to she did all the experimenting for us um which is great for us but it was kind of unfortunate for her because she she did go through what a lot of other people with right. these disorders first go through um but we do, the, the, we're all doing well. We still have very similar symptoms. We get a lot of subluxations. I think my sister and I are definitely a step uh, more severe than my mother. My mother's, um, she, she's doing a lot better against preventative things for her. It's, we all have hand issues because we all do a lot of computer work. Um, and we get a lot of subluxations in our spine. Um, I'm the only one, I'm still the only one with gastrointestinal issues. My sister suffers from um, a lot of chronic fatigue, but she also had a lot of concussions as well. Um, so for her, it's, it, it can be difficult, uh, doing or lasting a full day or doing the activities that a quote unquote normal person can do. Right. Um, 
so that but we're all we're all managing very well i think we do recognize that we are some of the fortunate ones that we don't have um that we still we're still able to work we're still able to um, have jobs and care for our loved ones if need be so i think we're all very fortunate and we we we, we talk a lot about our, our issues just to just so that we know that we're not alone that we all um deal with very similar issues and we we understand each other emotionally physically um and i do think that communication is important for all of us oh no i definitely agree and i looked at it as your mother you know, I tried to put a positive spin because when I found out what I had, uh, you know, it was 15 years after giving birth to my son. And then I felt, you know, horrific. I was like, I've passed down this disease to my son. But I look at the positive that because of what I've learned, I've been able to help him, you know, when he subluxed his pelvis. I was able to get it, you know, get him to the right person, get it back in and then, you know, take care of the fascial issue then as opposed to 15 years down the road. So your mother is laying down the groundwork and sadly she has suffered more, but she's doing it, I guess, for the greater good to protect you both. And then to, you know, with you moving forward, who, who else knows whose lives she's going to touch because of what she's had to go through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay. Just to touch on, um, just because you said you're, you know, you did feel bad when you learned that you, you passed it on to your son. And I think my mom, my mother also had a bit of a grievance. Um, when she realized that she gave this disorder to, to her children that she didn't, you know, she, she didn't know of, you know, by still it still affects you because you're you're passing on this potentially burdensome thing to your right. two children that you love so much. Um, but it, it's hard. It's hard to know when you don't know yourself. So I think I do think that as much as like you just try to help them as much as you can, and you know I do think that she did go through a lot just to help us. Well to help herself, but also that she, she taught us how to help ourselves when we needed to as well. Right. No, I, I, that's a great attitude. And now if this next question is too personal and you don't want to answer, that's fine. Please tell me. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if, do you or your sister have children? No, we do not. Do you, and if this is too personal, just tell me next question. Do (laughs) you, uh, look, towards possibly having children in the future or has this stopped you from thinking about it yeah nothing nothing's too personal for me honestly okay um I don't think I'm ever going to have children just because I'm not like currently I I don't see myself wanting that life for myself personally um and I've already made up my mind that if ever I do have children at one point I will be adopting um just because I find that that's what the world needs currently and i i don't want to risk passing something that could be even more severe to my children um and not only that but i don't know the risk that i'll be putting myself in if ever i do carry because it, it, it is so much work and i admire every woman who takes that on to um to have children of their own and I, i'm not sure i'm not sure if i want to put myself and my right. child at risk for you know, potentially um, something that could be, uh, you know, 
even even worse than I can even imagine. Like, no, I, yeah. I wouldn't want to do that. So no. I, again, I, I think I would. I think I'd go the adopting route if ever I do have children. Um, but I I'm I'm very young. I, it was I have a lot of time to think about that as well. No, most definitely. And and I just asked because I, I was told at 17 that I couldn't have children. And if it wasn't for giving birth to my son, I don't think I ever would have gotten my diagnosis because I was very much like you, uh, HSD. I, you know, lived with it, but my pregnancy is what triggered all of the main symptoms. And somebody asked me the other day, would you do it again? You know, that would no, you know, would you willingly have a child knowing what you have? And I said, Yes, I would go through it again because I now know what happened for me, and I would have started to work on my fascia sooner because my pregnancy like moved everything, and you know, my diaphragm got stuck, the adhesions just made everything worse. And I was like, I would have started on that sooner. But other than that, I was very fortunate because I had a C-section. If I had given a vaginal birth, I think I would have lost my ability to walk then and there that day. I mean, I have heard horror stories and I, I feel when I hear women that have had three and four pregnancies with this illness and I'm just like, my stars. I don't know how in the world, and I think adoption is a beautiful process, and I think that, you know, that's a great way to go, and I think your outlook on it is very positive, and I think that's great. Um, My other question to you is, do you feel that HSD eventually leads to HEDS? Um, I think this is a question that's debated greatly in the in the um, in the in the HEDS and HSD or EDS community. Um, I actually went to uh, the um, the the conference in Rome not too long ago about um, HSD and EDS uh-huh. um, by the Edler Stanlow Society, and that was actually one of the questions saying that no one no one knows no one knows the answer to that question they don't know if you know hsd and hds are on the same spectrum they don't know if they could be the exact same thing just you know again on one big spectrum um so it's it's really hard to say yes they're the same no they're not the same they're two different entities it's it's hard to say at this point they do share a lot of common symptoms a lot of comorbidities um I think in, in research as well, they are currently treated the same, hence why I'm doing my research on GHSD and HEDS. Um, and it is kind of known in that community that they are currently treated the same unless there is an indication saying that they should be treated otherwise. Um, but that's, that's there's, there's no yes or no answer to that question, unfortunately. <laughs> right. No, and that, that's a sad thing. There isn't. And, and I believe that had I not, you know, I thought I was going through menopause, menopause, but no, it was a bouncing baby boy on its way. Uh, But I believe had I not gotten pregnant, that I would have probably continued living with HSD, still not knowing about it. But 
it wouldn't have gotten to the point that it did had I not given birth. So I, I feel for me that HSD kind of evolved into the HEDS, but I, I know there's no scientific, you know, evidence and I know it's a big debate, but I just like getting, you know, each person's take on it just to see where they stand because this is a very understudied illness and I think every little bit that we can offer and 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 learn about it is important and it seems like you would make a wonderful advocate because you just seem not not just because you are a patient not just because you have this illness but you seem to be well versed in so many other things than just hsd that's so kind to say thank you <laughs> well you're, you're 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 very welcome but i mean it's just it's quite evident it's not like you've you know you've been given this diagnosis and now your life has stopped it seems like you've been given this diagnosis and have gone on to flourish. And it's like, you're bound and determined to, I mean, seek out and educate. And this is not something that you're getting paid for. This is not a job title. It definitely is not. Um, and and I, do, I do think it's, it's important to note that no matter what diagnosis you're giving, it's, it doesn't define you in diagnosis that, they're just words. They don't, a condition varies no matter if you get something, um, even something that's more known like diabetes, everyone's diabetes is different. You can't, you can't say one size fits all. There's a bunch of different medication because some medications don't work for some people. Um, and it's important to not let any disease disorder define you and what your abilities or what you have for abilities. Um, I think it's just important to keep moving as much as you can and just strive to make a life that you are proud of, that you want to live um, and just be happy, be joyful. Well, I'm just sitting there listening to you like, okay, I can keep listening to her talk. She's just, (laughs) because you, you just, you're so passionate and it comes across. And even when I got your, um, request you know to put to put the research group on the page it was evident in your message how passionate you are it, have you been this way your entire life or was it just the diagnosis opened your eyes to a new you kind of thing i think i think i've always you know we we all have these characteristics inside us it's just you know what we put them towards um i've i've had symptoms way before i had a diagnosis just like a lot of a lot of others um and i don't think the diagnosis changed me or my perspective of it i was obviously relieved to get you know some explanation given my um given right now there's such a stringent criteria for a diagnosis there's not even really a criteria for h uh, g ghsd um or nothing you know that's you know valid it's hard anyway it's it's hard to explain right. but no I um, understand. Yeah. so it's 
for me it was kind of a relief just because my mom and my sister did not make that criteria when they went to the clinic which was year you know at least two years before I did um and so for me it was kind of a relief to know that oh okay I have it so others have it but I think since having these symptoms that are very common in a lot of other disorders you know there's a lot of other disorders that have chronic pain that have fatigue or random GI issues or I think once you injure those you empathize with others of those disorders and you kind of form a community and then you become more passionate about yourself others and it kind of and it kind of um spills over into other spheres for me it went it's spirit into my sphere of research, hence why I do research in this um, in this little community, in this niche area. Um, so I guess to answer that question, I, I, I think it kind of grew as I started getting symptoms, I, as I started talking with others with um, the same disorder as I have. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of continues from there. The more I learn, the more I want to keep learning. And what exactly are you learning what when you finish college what is going to be your degree what what will you have a degree in yeah so currently i'm doing my master of science um in epidemiology at the university of alberta so um i i was essentially passionate about epidemiology not because of covid um which a lot of people think um right. and just and just to kind of preface epidemiology is a study of why, what, how disease are caused in a population. Um, and I, I just always found that very fascinating, uh, whether that be chronic diseases, hereditary, because even hereditary diseases, that doesn't define if you actually have a disease or not, because um, diseases develop because of various environmental factors, um, um, you know, in genetic factors, and then you have just a bunch of other uh, you know, modifiable factors and I just found that to be interesting and then same thing how HEDS and HSD develop some people have it some people have it not as severe some people have it very severe why is that and so that kind of intrigued me to actually start doing research and um, continuing in this sphere so yeah so I'll, I'll be graduating uh, with my master's of science in epidemiology outstanding and what and I know this is in the future and I'm just you know trying to think what do you have any desire to add on to this education go back for something else or can you do what you want to do with this degree I think if I want to continue to orchestrate my own research I think I do need to continue to uh, get a PhD which I have been strongly encouraged by by a few people <laughs> um, and I, I do think that that would be an interesting avenue uh, depending on the circumstances however I still have um, a little bit to go in this degree I would like to see it through before I make a final decision um, because going through this degree it's 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 not easy because I have a lot of uh, restrictions, uh, physical restrictions. Um, so I think taking on a, another degree of four years is quite a big decision I need, need to be sure about. Yeah. Um, but 
whether I do that, whether I do another degree to, I was even thinking maybe doing another degree, another master's to become an occupational therapist. Um, yes. And so it, it, what I want to do later it really depends on how I feel, how I feel at the end of this. If I find really interesting results that make me want to go with the occupational therapy route, then maybe I'll do that. Um, but currently I'm very happy in doing research um, and I would like to just continue somehow in the research sphere. I, I think that is incredible. And when you brought up occupational therapy, my fashiologist, who is <laughs> the one that I credit with, with getting me my abilities back to walk and talk, she uh, is an occupational therapist and a certified uh, lymphedema specialist therapist. Mm -hmm. And that helps her tremendously with individuals with our condition because our lymphatic system and everything is all mixed into one i'm just i i'm not trying to push you and i'm not pushing fascia on you i'm just like oh my goodness you would be one hard woman to stop with all of this knowledge under your belt i just think you have an incredible future ahead of you really really do thank and, you that's so kind <laughs> well i do i mean just the more i listen to you i'm like man's alive this woman i'm like i can say i knew her when and i hope you don't forget me when you get all big and up there you'll grant me another interview from my tiny little podcast you can be like oh i'll just throw a bone why not because you with your passion with your knowledge with your education i mean i just started i just enrolled in um personal training certification classes and corrective movement specialties so that I can now qualify for the fascia training academy and me at 52 I'm like oh I hope I can do this and you've got a master's of of, of, of epidemiology and then I'm going back for this and I am so impressed by you I think I think you just sound wonderful wonderful Thank you. I think it's important to know that even I think age is not a limit. I think education yes. can continue. I think education continues throughout life beyond institutions. It um, should. It so should. I, I do think and I think it's admirable to go to school even when you're even, you know, when you're at a different stage in life. I think it's I think education is a beautiful thing, whether that be uh, through an institution or just yourself, whether that be reading a book or taking an online course or actually going and getting a degree. I think it's admirable anytime, as long as it's something that's interests you. If you think that could bring, um, you know, more knowledge, knowledge is a wonderful thing. So I think it should be sought no matter what, at every stage of life. Well, you just pumped me up. You just made me feel good going after my little certification. And no, you're exactly right. The more we can learn, the better uh, we can serve others and ourselves and, as you mentioned earlier, you know, about advocating for yourself, in order for us to advocate for ourselves, we need to learn as much as we possibly can. And I think you're doing a fantastic job. And before we go, I do want to backtrack. Are you still weightlifting? Yes, I'm actually, um, I still weightlift. I actually have been really into spinning now. And so I'm actually yeah. working towards becoming a spin instructor. Oh, no. Okay, that on top <laughs> of, I'm running out of paper here. 
and then she'll do this. And then when it's President Annecy Houston, <laughs> we'll, or what is it you have in Canada? You don't have president. We have a prime minister. Okay, prime minister, Annecy Houston. Will you grant me this interview? Oh, my goodness, a spin instructor. That Now, that is physically demanding as well. Yeah, it really is. And I think it's, I, I can't say that, you know, I do it all on my own. My braces help me enormously. Am I the only one in the class with braces? Yes. I, I, do I get shy about it? Yes. But that's the only way to do something that I really love and to continue, you know, living my life and doing and enjoying things. Um, same thing when I weightlift, anything that involves my legs, I have to wear my braces. But I feel strong. I feel confident when I'm strong and when I do things that I enjoy. So I think it's just important to, um, to, to just do what you want despite your limitations ah i think that this you have inspired me i am so glad that we had an opportunity to do this interview uh you are quite a fascinating young woman and i admire all that you've accomplished and i hope that you will stay in touch with me but um before we go please give out your information again for anybody uh, and now it's just Canada only, right? Yeah. So even okay. if you just want to, to chat with me or, um, you're curious, you have questions or you want to talk about opportunities to collaborate, I'm always happy to collaborate with patients on research. So if you're interested, you could always, uh, send me an email. Again, my email is a N H O U S T O at ualberta.ca. Um, and I'm happy to have a chat with you. My email, my inbox is always open. And uh, yeah. I, Annecy, I, I thank you so much. This has been a great learning experience for me. I know that others listening on AWOL Zebra are, are probably emailing you right now, just looking up things, hopefully feeling inspired to get out there and wanting to learn something uh, for themselves because you made that sound like fun and I want to thank you for taking the time to share your life your story here with me on AWOL Zebra thank you Annecy thank you so much thank you so much for having me all right this is Christy Lynn Hanchi AWOL Zebra there's more to come stay tuned have a lovely day